Good morning, everyone. My name's Ricky, and I have the great uh, privilege of sharing the word with you this morning. Uh, I'm so excited about what God is doing. I think it's my uh, entry line into every sermon that I preach, but I, it is. I was, uh, I was in the bathroom this morning, and uh, Pierre came in and grabbed me, and I wasn't busy. I was at the basin. <laughs> and... He said, Rick, Rick, Rick. And he had to tell me something that happened this week. And I'm like, it's incredible. So we stood there for five minutes chatting in the men's bathroom. And then I left. And then he left with me. So I said, did you just come in here to tell me? He says, yeah, no, I, I needed to find you. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we are busy with our new series called Advantage. It's on the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be preaching today from John 16, if you wouldn't mind Turn in there in your Bible. And I'm going to get started because I can't wait to share with you today what I felt the Lord has laid on my heart. I'd really like to encourage you just to open your heart, turn, turn uh, any notifications off your phone so you don't get disrupted in any way. I believe God wants to encourage us this morning. I'm going to start by just making reference to the book of Acts, and we see how, how much the early church depended upon the Holy Spirit. He was a vital part of their lives. And if you work through the book of Acts, you actually, you, you, you start to see that that which was common for them in that time is maybe uncommon for us, the way that they responded to, to the Holy Spirit. There's no Christianity without the Holy Spirit. If you remove the Holy Spirit from Christianity, it turns into a dry, monotonous religion. If you remove the Holy Spirit from church, it'll change into, eventually change into a social club or a religious institution. Therefore, it is so important that we get the right understanding of the Holy Spirit and that we we have the knowledge of, of him being the third person of the Godhead. We need to settle our beliefs about the Holy Spirit. To yourself, is he the third person of the Godhead? Or is he just a powerful influence that emanates from the Father? Think as children, we grow up and we see pictures of Jesus at, at uh, Sunday school and the, and the dove coming down and we, we think that the Holy Spirit is a dove. Now, the Bible says he descended like a dove. I had this, my kids have been watching a lot of superhero um, movies recently, and these, it's amazing what the guys are doing on the movies uh, these days. I, I showed Josh and Danny Superman from my day with Christopher Reeve. <laughs> and uh, we got to about 10 minutes of the movie, and they said, Dad, do we have to watch this with you? Anyway, so, but just the way these superheroes can release that beam of power from their hands, the Holy Spirit isn't like that. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not, um, he's not like, like we talk about the spirit of democracy or the spirit of generosity. He's not a spirit. He's a person. The Bible in Matthew 10, 20, it refers to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of God the Father, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. As I stand here today, 
I know that the, the Holy Spirit who represents Jesus and Jesus represents the, Holy, the Father is speaking through me. I've, I've preached a sermon in my garage before. So what happened a couple of years ago, many years ago, the sound recording wasn't working at the back. So afterwards, I don't know who was on duty, might have been Hammond. Not that it's Hammond's fault, but he gave me that look. Rick, it didn't work. So that night I went into my garage and uh, had my laptop there and I was ready to preach my sermon again just so that we could put it onto the website. So I didn't have the same feeling as what I had when I was standing at the pulpit preaching to a hundred people. So I'm like, here I am sitting in the garage trying to give this message as much uh, life as possible. I think there was a moment where Mish actually knocked on the garage door and looked at me and then just kind of walked out. I think the funniest thing was about that was I started the message by saying, due to technical fault, we were unable to record uh, the message this morning. We've recorded this in a studio. There's no live audience. It wasn't a studio. It was my garage. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of God, the Son. Philippians 1.19, for I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. If you see the Holy Spirit as just this powerful influence, it'll affect your relationship with the Father. The Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a person. He has a mind, Romans 8.27. He has a will, 1 Corinthians 12.11. He has emotions, he comforts, he speaks, he teaches, he can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is a person. And as I was preparing, I just felt we won't have the advantage, as Jesus said. He said, I must go so that I can send the helper, it will be an advantage to you. We won't have the advantage if we don't understand who the Holy Spirit is. I'm hoping you are in uh, John 16. And just before I read from verse 5 to 15, I just want to give you uh, an update of where the disciples are at here. This is the night before Jesus was crucified. It's the Last Supper is happening. Jesus has washed their feet. He has taught them about the Father. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. He promises the Holy Spirit he teaches about the true vine in John 15. He, he warns them about the hatred that they'll receive from, from uh, the world. And then he was beginning to teach them about the work of the Holy Spirit. So keep that in mind as, as we read this because the disciples have had some seriously good Jesus time. I mean, can you imagine having all of that? We preached that over six months. They got it over two days. They've had some serious Jesus time. Verse five, but now I go away to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow, some Bible say grief, has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment. Verse nine, 
of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So Jesus has already spoken to his disciples and he started saying, I'm going to the Father, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's spoken about uh, his death, but he tells them again, he's going to be going. And Jesus then says, but none of you have asked me, where are you going? Why is that? They've maybe thought about it. I think at this time, the disciples are quite confused also. They're not sure what's happening Jesus is saying this stuff and they're like, but then Jesus goes on to say it's because of the sorrow that has filled their hearts. Jesus warned them about further persecution. And if you read just in the portion before that, verse one to four, he talks about the persecution. So Jesus said, listen, guys, it's gonna get tough. You're gonna get beat and you're gonna get kicked out of the synagogues. It's going to be difficult. The disciples became consumed with their own problems. And that blinded them. It blinded what Jesus was trying to communicate with them. If you look at that word sorrow or grief, this is what it means. Pain, affliction, properly distressed, vexation, physical or emotional pain, heavy heart, sorrow that brings a person down. In other words, the disciples were depressed. They've spent, they've had good Jesus time, as I've said, they are now depressed. How does that, how does that work? They are, they're filled with grief. The cause of the disciples' grief was because they were preoccupied with their own fate. This caused them to miss the positive implications of Jesus' departure, both for themselves and for the continuation of the mission. If we are consumed by our circumstances and our problems, and if we do not have a true understanding of the Holy Spirit who represents Jesus and the Father, it's very difficult to live the life that God has called us to live. Jesus is excited for these guys. He's saying, I have to go. You don't understand yet that it is to your advantage that I leave because the Holy Spirit is coming. And they're like, no, Jesus, but you were with us in the storm. You were there when Lazarus died. You, you, what are we gonna do? You can't leave us now. And this is the turmoil that's in the disciples' hearts. In verse seven, he, Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Why would it be better for the disciples to have the presence of the helper than the presence of Jesus himself. We tend to think that, I've said it myself, I'm like, yes, can you imagine being in that time when Jesus was here and you could sit and hear him and speak to him? Jesus was limited when he was in this body. He knew the advantage that we would have uh, with him leaving. The Holy Spirit 
played a part in Jesus' life. Jesus depended upon the Holy Spirit. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was taught. He was empowered. He did not do any miracles without the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He only spoke what he heard when the Holy Spirit spoke to him. So already, what's the benefit that we have? The disciples were with Jesus. We are with the Holy Spirit, but we, don't, we are not just with him. He is within us. Now we're starting to understand the benefit that we have. I'm going to just pause here in this portion of Scripture. And if you can turn over to 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14. This is Paul speaking. And he's writing a letter to the Corinthian church. And he's explaining to them how to live an effective Christian life. And then he, he ends these letters with the following words. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Paul is highlighting each of the Godhead's personalities and their roles. He, he's, he's taking a word and he's describe, describing that part of the Godhead. He says the grace of Jesus. If we didn't, did not have the grace of Jesus in our life, we would not be reconnected with the Father. That is what Jesus did for us. The love of God. This morning I had to leave the house early because I uh, chauffeured a young gentleman to the golf course. Sam, Mark and Mel's son was playing golf uh, in Stellenbosch, so I dropped him off. But I left before any of my family members were awake. I got a, like a brief, see you later, you know, from the family. Um, so I hadn't seen them, and I was sitting here, I hadn't seen my family the whole morning, and then just as worship, the music started, my whole family came in. I was such a, as a father, and the love I have for my, my kids and my family and my wife, it's, it, it's so amazing that we can experience that, because that's a portion of how God loves us. But God is a father. So when I saw my family coming, I felt complete and, and ready for the day. And uh, then he, he says the communion of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say the communion of Jesus, the communion of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for that word communion is koinonia. Okay? I don't expect you to know how to spell that, but I'm going to explain it to you. It means fellowship, companionship, communication, intimacy, sharing together. Social intercourse, partnership, joint participation, close mutual association. This is what Paul is saying. May the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. I want to have a look at a few of those words. So, because I'm hoping that as I share this with you, you start to understand the advantage that we have in the person of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship. The definition of fellowship is a friendly relationship, companionship, sharing together. Think of your, your friends and you know, part of being a friend is that you spend time with your friend and that you interact. What do friends do? They share, they communicate, they talk to each other. I, um, I love my sports and I played a lot of sports at school and if I think of some of my greatest fellowship moments, it was on the sports field. You know, or 
um, off the sports field um, with my teammates. But there was just so much fellowship happening there. I've, um, I love running also. It's, it, it's not the most exciting thing to go for a run by yourself because you just got to hit the Ks and I spend most of my time speaking to the Holy Spirit on my run because it's very difficult to keep quiet. I don't know if any of you have had a run with Pete Miller. Pete loves sport. He loves running, but he loves to talk also. So I, I, I limit my runs with Pete because if we're going for a 10K, I'm like, no, sorry, I won't be able to make this one. It's very difficult to run 10Ks at Pete's speed and hold a conversation. But there's companionship, there's fellowship. The early church in Acts 20, 22, listen to what Paul says, and now I'm going to Jerusalem, drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit has told me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Picture this. Paul is in his hotel room and he's conversing with the Holy Spirit. He's fellowshipping. He's saying, right, what, what, what are we doing here? What, where are you leading me? The Holy Spirit says, um, there's going to be a time in jail and a lot of suffering coming ahead. And uh, Paul's like, okay, I think I can do this. He goes to the next city. He's in the hotel room again, another city. Right, Holy Spirit, I'm hoping that that jail time was just for the other city. What's happening? Sorry, Paul. Uh, uh, some more jail time and suffering. The next city, Holy Spirit, what's, what's on the agenda here? More jail and suffering. The Bible doesn't say that in a city. It says in city after city, the Holy Spirit kept speaking to Paul. We can see here that he was connected intimately um, to the Holy Spirit, and, and the Holy Spirit was speaking to him. Now, Philip was an evangelist, and he was holding a revival meeting in Samaria. And the Bible says in Acts 8.26, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. Now, Philip goes, and this is the portion of Scripture that talks about the Ethiopian and the eunuch, and he went there because an angel spoke to him. In verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. There were two different moments here. There was an angel that spoke to, to Philip, and then there was the Spirit that spoke to Philip. Can you imagine... I'm guessing Philip sat with Luke while he was writing Acts and he said, right, Luke, at this moment, there was an angel that spoke to me. I don't know if the angel appeared to him. It just, the Bible just says the angel spoke to him. And then when I got to the desert, there were, I saw this uh, Ethiopian and then the spirit told me to catch up with the chariot. Philip was so in tune with the Holy Spirit that he recognized the difference between the voice of an angel and the Holy Spirit. That's how connected these guys were with, with God. Peter, just very quickly, in Acts 10, 19, there was a moment when the Spirit told him to go down to um, meet these three men. There were three men that he had to meet, and the Holy Spirit wanted him 
to, to, uh, to do something with them. In Acts 16, 6 to 7, Acts 16, 6 to 7, the disciples were traveling around going to minister, and then it says that the Holy Spirit forbid them to, to preach the word in Asia. They were in continuous fellowship with the Holy Spirit, directing their every move. Should it be any different today? Do we have better ways of serving God? Is it, uh, I had to challenge myself on this also, is it, do we look at those disciples in the early church and think they were quite primitive? You know, so they had to do this. They didn't have Siri and a smartphone. They just had the Holy Spirit. Should there be a difference? No. Can you imagine spending the whole day with your spouse and not saying a word to him or her? I love speaking to Michelle. I love hearing from her. I hear more from Michelle than I speak. <laughs> I'm, I'm a good listener. It is amazing to be able to hear God speak to you. Is the Holy Spirit your favorite person to be around? Let's look at the word partnership. Um, I mentioned at school, I have my sports. One of the sports I played was tennis. When I got to standard eight, grade 10, so standard eight, nine, and 10, I had the same doubles partner. Um, one of my best friends at school. When we started playing together, we didn't really know how to work well together. It was, you know, we kept missing the calls and we didn't flow well together. But after a couple of months and then the years, by the time we were in matric, we just knew exactly. He would like look at me and wink his eye and I knew what the call was. You know, for, we, we started to work very well together. This is your partnership with the Holy Spirit. You learn to flow with him. And he teaches us. He guides us. You um, you develop and grow in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 15, 28, it says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So in Scripture, yeah, we, we're hearing that this thing they were discussing was good. It was good from the Holy Spirit side, but it was also good from the disciples side. Can you see the partnership here? Look at the word companionship. And he has a question I want to ask. Is it possible to know Jesus through the Holy Spirit better than if he was here physically? Is it possible for me to, to get to know Jesus as good as I can without him being here physically? Peter walked with Jesus for three years. He knew him. He, he, knew him. he was intimate with him. He could touch him. He could hear him. He could see him. Paul only knew Jesus by the Spirit. Paul got to know Jesus so well that Peter writes about it in 2 Peter. And he says that Paul's letters are incredible. How does this guy say this stuff? Paul got to know Jesus better, yet he did not walk with him physically. Paul depended on the Holy Spirit. Peter most probably relied more on the physical relationship. We are at an advantage, folks. And the, the, prior to Jesus dying, I think part of why the disciples were grieving and, and uh, sorrowful is because they couldn't see this happening. They responded physically to, to what Jesus was saying. Paul displayed the advantage that we could have in getting to know Jesus through the Spirit. 
John 20, 29, Jesus told him, Thomas, um, this was after he had risen from the dead, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And I think Jesus was saying there, you can get to know me. You can know me without seeing me. Close mutual association. John Bevere, um, he, uh, he's a pastor and a writer. He, he mentions how he picked up uh, Paul Yonki Chow, Pastor Paul Yonki Chow. He's a South Korean minister. Um, some of you have maybe read his books or heard about him. But he's got one of the largest congregations in the world. It's about 830,000 people. I think they meet on a mountain. That's how big their, their church is. But when he picked him up from the airport, when uh, Paul Yonki Chow got in the car, the presence of God overwhelmed John Bevere so much that he just started to weep, just started to cry. And he turned to, to, um, to Paul and he just said, this is incredible. The presence of God here is overwhelming. And Paul just said, I know. That's, he, he knows that where he goes, he takes the Holy Spirit with him. Apparently, um, he speaks to the Holy Spirit constantly. He spends about two hours a day just praying in the Spirit. No wonder he is so closely associated with the Holy Spirit. Let's not ignore the Holy Spirit. Intimacy, another word. James 4 Verse five, do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? The Holy Spirit yearns for you. He doesn't just yearn for you, but he is jealous about you. He longs for you. Do you think that the Holy Spirit is going to pursue an intimate relationship with us if we are pursuing an intimate relationship with the things of this world? I don't think so. If you have an intimate relationship, if you start to so show interest in someone else, it's not healthy for the relationship. In James 4 verse 4, it says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The Holy Spirit is jealous towards us. He wants all of us. Um, we, we alluded to it last week when we, I think it was during our singing, where we were uh, talking about having more of the Holy Spirit, but then giving more of ourselves to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. And I think the best response from our side is that we give more of ourselves to Him. More of your heart, more of who you are, more of trusting in him, more of building relationship with him and, and not looking at what the world gives to us. Because the things of the world are very attractive and they pull us and they contend for our time with God. But the Holy Spirit wants to be intimate with us. Aren't, just thinking of those words then, isn't that a beautiful picture of our relationship with the Holy Spirit, communion with the Holy Spirit. This is what we've been encouraged to do. This is, this is what God wants from us. And I, um, I want to share just a little bit uh, as, I, as I end my message because I wanted to really concentrate on, on that portion of Scripture this morning. But from verse 8 to 15, I just want to 
just give you a brief summary of the further advantage that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And I'm hoping that in, your, in the time of your small groups this week, in, this week that you can discuss this more. But if you look in verse 8 to 15, there are two things that the Holy Spirit does. Number one, he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction. And number two, he communicates to believers. And that's verse 12 to 15. And I want to have a look at this word convict. And I'm going to read to you what um, I read this week because it puts it in such a descriptive way. The word convict comes from the drama of a courtroom trial. It refers to what the prosecuting attorney does when he argues his case. He puts the defendant on the witness stand and he begins to pile up the evidence. Fact upon fact, witness upon witness, truth upon truth. Slowly building his case until finally the enormity of the evidence is so overwhelming that the judge is forced to say to the defendant, I find you guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Not only that, this word means to present the evidence in such an overwhelming fashion that even the defendant is compelled at the end of the trial to step up and admit, to confess that he or she is guilty. Isn't that a powerful description of that word convict? And that's the function of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work works in the world. He convicts the world of sin, and not just not sin in a general sense. The sin that the Bible is talking about here is the greatest sin of all. The, the greatest sin of all is not murder or theft or hatred or racism. The, the greatest sin of all is refusing to believe in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the one who goes into the world and who touches hearts. Most of you here have made the decision to follow Jesus. Can you go back and think of that moment when you made that decision? Did you feel the conviction in your heart? Can you remember just what you felt which led to you making that decision? That was the Holy Spirit working in your life. Not only does the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin, but also of righteousness. It, it, the Holy Spirit wants to come and show the world that the righteousness of the world is like filthy rags compared to the righteousness that we receive from God. In Isaiah 64 verse 6, Israel's righteousness is likened to a menstrual cloth. The Holy Spirit needs to convict unbelievers of their need to believe in Christ and not trust in their own righteousness, with his like, which is like filthy rags. I remember studying this portion of Scripture a couple of years ago, and often when we think about the Holy Spirit and we hear the statement, the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, it's like, yes, I know that. Every time I do something wrong, I have that, that feeling. But also the Holy Spirit convicts you of righteousness. The Holy Spirit is the one who lets you understand that you are in right standing with God. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps you understand that you are washed clean. That when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see the sin. He sees through the filter of what Jesus has done. You are pure, you are cleansed. And a lot of us don't believe that. 
we, we walk around with this crazy guilt and condemnation and it hinders our relationship with God. The Holy Spirit wants you to know today that you are righteous. If you've accepted what Christ has done for you, you're cleansed. And I pray that you, you have that conviction. As much as you get the conviction of sin, you get the conviction of righteousness. This is the advantage that the Holy Spirit brings to us. And then finally, he convicts the world of judgment. And basically, Jesus is just talking about Satan, that he has been judged in the past. He continues to be judged and is now judged, will continue to be judged in the future. Satan may be a great power in this world, but he is already a defeated foe. And we walk victorious. What Jesus has done for us and what the Holy Spirit brings to us gives us the ability to live a supernatural life. Jesus, in leaving, has given us an advantage. Isn't that incredible? I'm going to end by reading a, a last scripture from John 16, verse 31 to 33. And if you, if you read through John 14, John 15, John 16, uh, Jesus is, is talking about the Holy Spirit and he refers to it. And this is how he ends chapter 16. Do you now believe indeed that the hour is coming? Yes, it has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And Jesus finishes off this, I'm guessing he finished off the evening, and he could see that the disciples were full of sorrow and grief, and he says, I give you peace. You will have tri tribulation, but I have overcome the world.